Let me get uh, situated here. Joe's getting very personal. <laughs> All right, am I on? Does that work? Yeah. Okay, great. Well, good morning, CME Church. My name is David Lawson. As Joe mentioned, thank you for uh, the introduction there. Uh, he actually was my campus minister for a very brief window. I think I spent the night at his house a couple times, and he put me to work in his backyard or something like that. So, uh, you know, that's what you do with campus kids. It's free labor. You know, you just put them to work. Um, but it's great to be up here with you guys. Uh, you know, we're just over the hill, uh, but it seems like sometimes it can be a really big distance. Uh, we got to spend a lot of time with your campus ministry over the summer. We went to Sequoia with them and a bunch of our students as well. We had a great time out there, and so it's always good to see them. Kyle and Logan played on the football team last year. It's always uh, intimidating for me to be around such handsome young men. It's just, it's just, it's, it's hard to stand next to them. So I'm glad I, I came up way after him. <laughs> so uh, it, it's, it's really a great pleasure for me to come up here. And I just want to say thank you to Joe and Lynette for inviting us up here. My wife and Logan are somewhere. I think she's dropping off a class or he's running around like a maniac out there. But uh, we're just grateful to be here. Thank you for inviting us up and, and allowing me to share a little bit just from my life. Uh, a little bit from the scriptures, and hopefully today is, is meaningful for you and helpful for you guys. Uh, you know, as Joe mentioned, we're in the Valley Church. I've been a disciple now for 22 years, so longer than some of you guys have been alive. Uh, I know I don't look it, but it's true. Uh, I got baptized in the team ministry, spent some time in the campus ministry, not too long, and then I went to the singles. That's where I met my wife, Teresa. Uh, we've been married now for 14, or sorry, 15 years. She's not here, right? I'm good. Okay. <laughs> 15 years. And uh, here's a picture of our family. This is our son. There we go. There's our son, Logan, our dog, Bronx. I chose this picture because this accurately describes my everyday existence. <laughs> my wife and I are trying desperately to hold everything together, right? Look good and make sure everything looks right. And then my son is just four years old and just full of, you know, spit and vigor. And then there's my dog just trying to figure out what is going on. So... <laughs> That's my family. Uh, our son Logan is adopted. We, uh, we adopted him through the county, uh, but he is just uh, one of the greatest blessings that I have in my life. Uh, we love him very much, and he's very special. And I can, I can tell that the Spirit of God is here at church today. You know, we don't, we, we've never done that prayer session like you guys did, and I thought it was great. And I can tell the Spirit is active because he sat still for 20 minutes, didn't make a peep. So clearly God is here today with us, <laughs> because that does not happen. <laughs> so I don't, I don't know what happened. Maybe I'm just gonna bring him up here from now on. I don't know, we'll see. <laughs> Um, you know, like I said, I've been in something for, for quite some time. And I didn't grow up in the church. I wasn't a kingdom kid. I didn't really grow up in any church. I grew up Catholic adjacent, I guess is the best I could describe it as. Um, and so, you know, for me, the Bible is, is something I love now, but something I didn't really understand when I first started coming out, when I first started studying. And so when I asked Joe today, like, what do you want me to speak on? Is there a series you guys are doing? Um, he said, just speak whatever you love, whatever, whatever, whatever you care about. And so for me, that's the Bible. You know, I, I have been a disciple for 22 years now. I have studied the Bible for quite some time to varying degrees of success and, and uh, diligence. But I'm at a point in my life right now where I really do hunger and thirst for the scriptures. I really just, I, I cannot get enough. I was talking to Jeremy, where's he at? He's somewhere. He turned me on to another podcast that, that, you know, Beam of Discipleship. And so anything I can get, any resource, any tool, any book, anything that I can get to help me understand and, and process the scriptures better and to understand deeper, to understand the, 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 the Eastern thinking or the time, the context, the place, I'm all about it right now. And so it's fun because my son is four and he is growing up in church. And so his experience is going to be a little bit different than mine. And so we have a Bible, like many of us, I imagine, do for our kids, right? And, and, and they're nice, you know, they're, they're good stories in there. And it's the highlight reels, right? You get, you get Noah, you get Moses, you get David, you get Jonah and the whale. You know, you get all the, all the good stories, all the ones that kind of make sense to a kid. 
Uh, and, and they're, you know, they're watered down a little bit, sanitized to make it a little bit more palatable to, to a four-year-old. And so we're having breakfast one morning, and I'm sitting there reading uh, the story of David and Goliath. And we're having a great time, and he's having breakfast, and I'm reading the story. And, you know, as these books go, it, it's very, very PC, right? It's very, very G-rated, I should say. And it, it goes something to the effect of, you know, God was with David, and David had faith in his God, and so he had victory that day over Goliath, and that's it. And I'm thinking to myself, that's not how that story goes at all. <laughs> like, where's the part where David says, today I'm going to cut your head off and hang it above the armies, where I'm going to feed the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds in the air and the beasts of the field? Right? And then it's about that point my wife gives me the look, and if you're married, you know what the look means. Yeah. Right? And if you're not married, it just means, what do you think you're doing? Our son is four. He does not need to hear about decapitation. <laughs> but that was my experience with the Bible coming to church. You know, I, I knew the highlights. I knew some of the bigger stories from TV or from movies or from Christmas. And, and so I knew the, the, the general themes and, and some, of the, some of the ideas that are out there, but I didn't really know the depth. I didn't really know the truth. I didn't really know the scriptures the way I do now. And so when I started studying the Bible, you know, I, I found something very interesting, but I found it very hard to relate, right? Because in my head, I saw David as this man who, who was after God's own heart, who had faith in his God, defeated the giant, was king. And it was very hard for me to relate to that. It was very hard for me to connect on a personal level. It, it didn't feel like that was my life, you know? Um, I want to share a little bit about my life for you guys. So I grew up in Philadelphia. I'm a loyal Eagles fan. Any, anyone out here? No? No, that's all right. That's all right. That's fine. I'm used to that. Um, <laughs> not here. And uh, I grew up in, in a very broken family. Uh, you know, we, we, like I mentioned, we adopted our child, Logan, and we went through DCFS through the county. And part of that process is, is you go through these classes. And what they do is they, they talk to you about trauma a lot, about these kids who, who, you know, are coming from some of the worst situations of neglect, abuse, addiction, abandonment. And so they really want to make sure that you understand that these kids all carry with them a certain level of trauma. But then the other side of that, the flip side of that is, we carry trauma. And the reality is everyone has some kind of trauma in their life, right? Whether you've lost someone you love, whether you've had a difficult childhood, whatever it might be, we all carry some level of trauma. And so a lot of the class is identifying the trauma in, in, in these kids' lives, but then also in your life. And I remember going into that class thinking to myself, I don't know that I have a lot of trauma. I don't know that that's my reality. Um, you know, because when you grow up, you just, you, what you experience in your life is just your norm. You don't really think much of it until you kind of get outside your bubble. And so um, we're sitting there and we're talking and, and, and it dawned on me when I started talking about how my parents would discipline me. And you could see the social workers' faces and they were just in abject horror about the stories I was telling them <laughs> about how my parents would, you know, I, I was born in 1980, so my, you know, it's, it's a different decade, but they had a belt and it had these chain links that kind of came off it. You know, it was kind of popular back then, it was very fashionable, and I get hit with that all the time. And she was just looking at me and, and I thought, that's just what you happen, you know, that's what happens when you talk back, you get hit with the belt. Uh, and so I would tell these stories and you would see the horror in her face. And that, that's kind of when I started to realize, oh, my life wasn't very good growing up. My, my childhood was, was a little trouble and I do have some trauma there. So I started unpacking those things and, and, and discovering those things. And, you know, you start to realize the things that you just took for granted or you just didn't think much of. You know, things like going to school with a black eye or a fat lip for talking back to your dad. Things like watching your mom being beat while you're in the bedroom crying. Right, going to the psych ward to visit her after she jumped out of the car to get away from him. And you start to realize that your, 
you've got some trauma in your life. You're not quite as normal as you thought you might have been. And that was my childhood. You know, my parents separated pretty young. I was about six or seven when they uh, separated and got divorced finally. And after that, I didn't, I didn't see my father much. You know, I saw him on the weekends, but even when I was there at his house, he worked at night and slept during the day. So I wasn't really around him. It's more around my stepbrothers or, or you know, kids in the neighborhood. And uh, you know, while, while the physical abuse kind of stopped at that point, there was definitely just emotional abuse, right? Being used to, as, a, as a spy for my, for my mom or for my dad, try to get dirt on the other. Um, you know, being told, oh, your mom's a terrible person, or your dad's a terrible person, they did this, they did that, that's why I'm like this, that's why I do this, that's why I drink. You know, watching my dad do cocaine in front of me on the dashboard of the car while we're driving. You know, this, this was my childhood, and these were things that, for a long time, I just didn't even know were not normal. That was not everyone's experience. And so you grow up with this, and I, and I had a lot of anger as a young man. I had a lot of anger, a lot of resentment. I had to very early learn how to take care of myself, things like cooking for myself, doing laundry, watching my younger brother, making sure he was fed and had clean clothes, uh, cleaning the house. And this is as early as seven years old, having to do this when my mom you know, did the best she could. She worked two jobs, three jobs sometimes, went to school, uh, but it left us alone at home by ourselves. And so I had a lot of anger, I had a lot of resentment. I learned very quickly for me in my life that if I needed to do something, I had to be the one to do it. That I couldn't rely on someone else, I couldn't expect someone else to, to, to come in and fix a problem, I had to be the one with the solution, I had to be the one with the answer, or, or else it wasn't gonna happen. And so what that caused me to do was to push people away, to keep them distant, right, to keep them just at arm's length, never really letting, letting them in, never really letting them see who I am. And so when we study the Bible, or when I studied the Bible, I would read these characters, right, with, with great faith and great deeds, and I just, it was very hard for me to connect. It was very hard for me to understand, to relate, um, to, to be able to, to see myself in their story. Because all I saw were these men, who, who, men and women who, who just did amazing things and did great, you know, great deeds for God. You know, in the valley, we're actually studying out the book of Hebrews right now. And there's a section in there, most of us know it, right? It's Hebrews 11, it's, it's the hall of faith, right? And, and, it, and it reads like the Avengers, like the roster for the next Avengers movie, right? You've got Noah who, who saves a remnant of people right, and, and reestablishes all of humanity. You've got Moses, who frees the Israelites from the evil Pharaoh, takes them out of slavery, leads them for 40 years in the desert, bringing them to the promised land. Joshua goes in and defeats all the enemies of the Lord. King David, right, defeats Goliath, becomes king and unifies the kingdom, right? It's story after story after story of people who seem to just trust God without any reservation and how God works in their lives. And for me, that was really hard to understand. That was really hard to connect with. I, I just, I did not see that same God, that same story playing out in my life. My life, if anything, was more a series of unfortunate events, right? <laughs> it's just, it just seemed like that's good for you. That works for you, but not for me. That's not my reality. If I don't take care of it, if I don't make it happen, then it's not going to happen. And so I found it very hard, uh, very difficult to, to, to trust in God, to, to want to believe that he was going to work in my life, to want to believe that he was powerful enough to overcome the situations. Uh, and so because of the anger that I was holding on to, the resentment, the, the, the keeping people at arm's length and not really letting them in, I became very depressed, became very isolated, very alone, developed anxiety. Uh, I, in a room like this would you know, give me pause. I, I would come in just feeling just like everyone was looking at me. Everyone knew who I was inside. They were gonna, ready just to tear me apart. And I just felt so alone, so overwhelmed, um, to the point where, you know, I started to uh, do poorly in school, I started to, you know, steal from my job because I was, you know, mismanaging my money and I wouldn't tell anyone about it and get the help I needed, 
You know, I just became a very terrible person to be around. I was not pleasant. I would try to hide off in the corner somewhere and, and not talk to anybody. And that's where I was at. I was depressed, I was lonely, I, I contemplated suicide. Uh, every morning I had a routine. I had to, to convince myself to get out of bed. And it usually went something like this. I wake up and say, I gotta get out of bed. I don't wanna get out of bed. Okay, well if you don't get out of bed, you're gonna be late to work. And if you're late to work, you get fired. If you get fired, you can't pay your bills. If you can't pay your bills, you're on the street. And some days I'd win that battle and I'd get out of bed and go to work and other days I wouldn't. I'd lie in there, turn the lights off, you know, and just contemplate just how miserable I was. And so when I read these stories about the heroes and I see their faith, this seemed very far from my reality. And it was very hard for me to connect. And so I, um, you know, I, I, I figured, you know what, I'm going to be diligent. I'm going to keep at it. I'm going to trust that God has a plan here. I'm going I'm to try to achieve whatever I see in everyone else or at least what I perceived everyone else had. Everyone else seemed to kind of understand God in a way that I didn't. Everyone else seemed to, to connect with him. And so maybe if I just tried hard enough, if I faked it till I made it kind of thing, you know, where I just, just pretend and go through the motions and maybe eventually I'll understand what it is. And that never happened, right? Because I wasn't getting open. I was kind of keeping everyone still at a distance. I wasn't dealing with the things in my heart that were really challenging me and really, really causing me pain and grief and the trauma that I had. And I realized I was just a very broken individual. And so, I, you know, I'd read the Bible, I'd study it out, I'd question it, I, 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 was, I wasn't even sure I believed in it at times. And then I came across a scripture in 2 Corinthians that I had a real hard time with. And we're going to read this one now. It's 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7. It's here on the screen if you need it. And this is Paul. And he's talking to the church in Corinth. And he says this. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong." You know, and I came across the scripture, and, and like I said, I had, I had a really difficult time with this one, because this was not my reality, right? I did not feel strong in any, in any aspect of my life. I felt like I was failing. I felt like I was just a complete, uh, utter failure, and, and I let God down, I let myself down, I let my family, my friends down. This was not my reality. I did not feel strong in my weakness like Paul was talking about. I didn't even really understand what Paul was talking about. Like, what are you talking about? No, being weak is weak. Being strong is strong, right? This is America. This is how we do it. You're strong. There, there is no weakness. There's no room for that. You get that out of you. That's how you know when you're strong. Right? And I mentioned, I, I am a child of the 80s. And so for me, if you want to get strong, there's nothing better than a video montage, right? A training montage, <laughs> right? Hearts on fire, eye of the tiger playing in the background, right? This is how you get strong, right? You go into the wilderness, you lift sticks and stones, and you run on the beach in very short shorts. Once again, this is the 80s. Different time. I think this was Joe's shorts, actually. I don't know. <laughs> but, right, this, this is how I understood how you become strong. I don't remember the scene in Rocky when he gets beat by Apollo Creed and he's in, he's in the you know, back room eating a cheesesteak crying, I, I feel so strong right now. No, Rocky gets up, he trains, he fights, and he beats Apollo Creed. That's how you get strong. That's how I understood how you got strong. And so to hear Paul say, I delight in my weakness. To hear him say, when I'm weak, then I am strong. I just... That did not resonate with me on any level. Yeah. I did not understand that because that was not my existence. There were some days where I said I could not get out of bed 
And so there, there, was, there was no strength there to be found. And so I wrestled with this. I would question, I would, I would ask people, what does this mean? This doesn't make any sense. Paul must be crazy, right? He, he, he must be wrong. Is there something I'm not understanding? Is there something in the Greek I don't get, right? And, and I just did not get it. I did not want to understand what he was saying, right? Because I wanted to be in my weakness. I wanted to, to feel justified for the pain and the hurt that I felt. And so to hear him say these things, I delight in my weakness, my hardships, my troubles. Get out of here, Paul. Like, that's not my life. That's not my reality. And so I wrestled with it, and I struggled with it, and, and, you know, I think I kind of figured it out. You know, what Paul's saying is it's not weakness for weakness sake, right? We're not just being weak just to be weak. What Paul identified with and what he understood and what I gradually start to understand, and I still wrestle with it today, but what I gradually understand is it's in those weaknesses that God can be present. Right. It's in those weaknesses, it's in those deficiencies, in those, those, those broken pieces that God can be found. And there's room for him. Because you know what, when we're strong, we don't want to rely on God. We don't need to rely on God. Right. And so there's not a whole lot of room there for him. But it's in our weaknesses, that's where he can dwell the most. And so I started to connect with that. And I started to understand a little bit about what was going on there. And for me, a, a lot of that process came through, through a lot of factors, right? It was through finally getting real with the pain of my life and, and getting therapy, right? That was something I needed in my life because there was some, some legitimate trauma from my childhood that I had not dealt with. Uh, it, it meant getting open and being honest about who I was as a person and, and, and letting go of the deceit, letting go of the, of, of the facade of projecting you know, an idea of who I was or who I wanted to be or who I want people to see me as. Right? It, it took me breaking those barriers down and letting people in again and trusting that, you know what, they might fail me. That's possible, but I should at least give them a shot to show me otherwise. And so little by little, I would let people in my life. My wife was a great support. She actually was the one who got me connected with the therapist that helped me the most probably through that process. And we weren't married yet. We were dating. And uh, you know, through this and, and through, the, through the therapy, through the study of the scripture, through prayer, through the friendships in my life, I finally found footing. I finally found a place to, to stand firm and, and to kind of understand what Paul was talking about, to understand the strength that can be found in the weakness. I wonder how you guys are feeling right now. If you guys feel strong in your weakness. You know, I know I, I didn't always, right? Just this week. You know, it's so funny how, how, how God will, or Satan will do these things, right? Where I was, I was at a supermarket. I was at Ralph's. And I'm standing there buying some nacho cheese for a devotional we're having on Friday. And I'm looking at the stuff, and anyone who's battled mental illness or depression or anxiety will know exactly what I'm talking about. I felt like, and for no reason, really, well, that's not true. There, there, there are factors in my life, but there was no like, big thing going on right then. I felt like I was standing on the precipice. And all it would have taken was just a little breeze, right? A push in the wrong direction, and I would have fallen down and spiraled down into the pain, the agony, the isolation, the loneliness, the depression, the anxiety, right? It felt like, it was like waves crashing over your head in the ocean, right? Anyone, anyone relate to that at all ever in their lives? Yeah? A couple of us? And this is out of nowhere. I'm standing in a Ralph's, right? <laughs> Nothing major. I'm trying to try to say which cheese is better, the cheaper one or the, one that, the brand that I know, right? <laughs> and that's how it is, right? Because we are broken people, right? We all carry with us the scars of our youth, Right, the scars of, 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 of past relationships and past hurt, right? the pain and the suffering that we've endured in our lives, we all carry these things with us. And so sometimes it can be hard to find that strength and weakness. Sometimes it can be hard to see how God is going to work and take this broken mess that I am, that we are, and use us for anything, right. let alone the work of God. 
but you know, I, uh, I came across this story last year, or earlier this year, and there's this guy, and his name was um, Richard Russell. And um, you might remember the story. He, he, he's the guy that took the plane from the Seattle airport and took it for a joyride around Seattle, the area surrounding there, the mountains. And, and they have the audio, right, because the air traffic control is talking to this guy, and they're trying to figure out what's going on, who he is. The first thought, obviously, was it was terrorism of some sort, that he was, you know, kind of crashing into a populated area, government building. But once they figured out that wasn't the case, it was some, some guy on a joyride. They start talking to him, trying to talk him down, trying to get him to, you know, to land the plane. And you know, the air traffic control is remaining very calm. This guy, though, you listen to him, he's talking about, oh yeah, I learned to fly, playing video games, and maybe I can take this thing for a barrel roll or a loop-de-loop. -loop. You know, he's talking about the sights he's seeing, the, the, the mountain ranges in Washington, how beautiful they are. And then we get this moment in the audio where this, this facade that he has of this kind of confident guy on a joyride, kind of doing something crazy, we, we, we get a picture of, of who he really was. And I'm going to play this audio for you guys right now because I think it's, it, it's really uh, insightful. He's just a broken guy with a couple screws loose. Anyone here ever relate to that feeling? Yeah? Fortunately, none of you guys have stolen a plane yet. And as I mentioned, right, this would almost be a, a funny story of some guy doing something crazy if it didn't end so tragically. He, he, shortly after this audio is recorded, he crashes. Uh, he, you know, he didn't know what he was doing. He didn't know how to land it. And it probably was his intent the whole time to go up there to, to commit suicide. He crashes his plane and dies. And I, I heard that audio, and I just I stopped and I wondered, what would have happened if he reached out? What would have happened if someone reached out to him? What would happen if someone in his life, like my wife did for me, pointed him in the right direction to get help? I wonder. Who knows, right? You, you can never guess with those things, unfortunately. This is the nature of mental illness. But I know for me, because I had people in my life, like my wife, my friends, people, mentors like Joe and, and Ron and Gary and Frank Williams, and so many people in my life who cared about me, who loved me, who were not going to give up on me despite how terrible of a person I was, I was able to get through that. I was able to work through that. I was able to take the collection of broken pieces that I was and, and let God fill in the gaps. Let God be present where I was weak. And so I started to understand what it meant when Paul said, I delight in my weakness. It's because then that I'm strong. Right? Not because Paul was so great, and he was. Right? We know who Paul is. We know what he did. But even him, this great evangelist, the guy who, who spread the gospel to the known world, even he felt like giving up. Even he felt weak. So much so that he asked God to take it away from him, and God said, no. My grace is sufficient for you. And so it's because of these things, because of the help that I had, the therapy, the, the people in my life, the prayer, the study of the scripture, that I was able to kind of get through these challenges, right? Able to deal with the trauma. And I want to share some of those things that have helped me through that process, if that's okay. This is uh, Matthew 7, verse 24. <clears throat> and it says this. Therefore, everyone, sorry, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man 
who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the wind blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. You know, this is a, a great parable that Jesus tells, and I, and I love the parable because it helps me visualize it. Right? I, I like to see it in my head and, and picture how this went, went down. And he says, the guy who hears my words, right, the person who hears my words and puts them into practice is like a man who builds his foundation on the rock. Right? What I love about what Jesus does here, though, is he acknowledges that a storm is coming. It doesn't matter who you are. doesn't matter if you're a wise man or a foolish man. The storm is going to come in your life. There's going to be a time in your life where you face a challenge that you don't know what to do, that's too much for you, that, that, that pushes you beyond what you think is possible. There's going to be time in your life where you experience grief that you do not know how to, to, to process. There's going to be time in your life where you feel like you're broken. You've got a couple screws loose. And the only option that you may see is to end it all. The storm will come. But Jesus tells us the key to weathering that storm is building our foundation on the rock. Right? It's hearing his words. It's hearing the scriptures. It's studying the scriptures, even when they don't make sense, even when you can't find yourself in them, even when you can't relate to them, but then putting them into practice as well. The storm is going to come. It's just a matter of what foundation you're building it on. Are you building it on the rock, on the scripture, on Jesus Christ himself? Or are you building it on your own ability, on your strengths? Are you building it on your past experiences and your trauma? Well, this isn't going to happen. I know that because this is how the past has always gone. Well, the storm will come and it will blow you away. But we can build it on the foundation if we hold to his words and put them into practice. The next one that, that really helped me out was 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50 through 50. I'm not going to read the whole passage. I'm actually just going to zero in a couple points here. Starting in verse 50, it says this. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. It goes down in verse 58. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. And I love this scripture because if you read the whole passage, right, it, it talks about how God is removing the perishable and clothing us in, in what's imperishable. And for me, again, I'm a visual person. And so I, I picture my flesh being torn asunder, right, and, and being pulled apart to reveal what is imperishable, what is true, what is, what is immortal. But that's a painful process, right? When God does work in our lives, when, he, when, he, when he's trying to fix the things that, that we're not great at, right, and when he's trying to reveal the sin in our lives, Many of us know how painful that can be. Many of us know how challenging that can be. And so I, I just picture this, this, this process of, of the flesh being taken away. But what it's revealing is who I am truly. Who I am and how he sees me. It's removing the perishable and clothing me with the imperishable. It's creating me for immortality. And I love how Paul closes it out because he says, Therefore, stand firm. Right, Kind of that same idea of having that firm foundation. Let nothing move you. Let, don't let the storms, don't let this process of, of God working in your life move you. And then he goes on and says, always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. You know, I work with campus ministry, and I, I love the campus ministry. I, I really believe you guys 
are going to change this church in a way that we don't understand. And I know sometimes you get some, some tension there, and that's okay. You guys will get through it. But I really believe this next generation is going to bring God's word into this world in a way we have not seen in a very long time. I absolutely believe that. And I love my time with them. However, I will say this, uh, and I won't say this is unique to their generation, but I hear this a lot with my students. Oh, you know, I'm just really going through something right now, and once I get through this, then I can give myself fully to fill in the blank. Or, you know, once I get out of college and I get my career established and I get my family, then I can really give myself to God. Or, you know, I just, I woke up and I had a bad day, and I just don't know if I want to read the Bible today. I just, I need some, some time for myself. And I, and I hear these things a lot, and, and it's not unique to your generation at all, right? Some of these old guys here probably say the same things. <laughs> but I hear it a lot because, you know, I'm with the campus ministry all the time. And believe me, there, 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 there is no bigger advocate for self-care and mental health than me. I, I know how well that has helped me in my life and how, how it's gotten me through some of the, the biggest challenges in my life and how, how important it is, right? An empty cup cannot fill another cup. It just is not, it's not possible. That being said... What, what Paul identifies here, he says, always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. You know, there's something that happens in us when we help someone else come to know God. There's something that happens in us when we look beyond our pain and try to help someone else who's going through a hard time. There's something that happens in us when we help someone who's less fortunate than we are. It doesn't make the problem go away. It doesn't fix everything. It's not, it's not a, a cure-all. But it does put into perspective what we have and who we are. We cannot wait for tomorrow or wait for the, the, the sun to rise at the right time and, and, and the, 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 the beams to come in so I can get the perfect Instagram shot of me reading my Bible with the coffee cup right there. Then <laughs> I feel really good, right? That's just not reality. It's not reality for the teens, it's not reality for college students, it's not reality for marrieds or singles or empty nesters. That's just not reality. Life is hard. Life is always going to be hard. Bad news, sorry guys. That's just the reality of life. It does not get easier. There is not a time when you have more time than you have now, trust me. When you have that job, when you have the kids, when you have the family, when your you know, kids are out, like the perfect scenario is not coming. But we can still serve God fully and do his work all the time. And once again, it's not, it's not a cure-all, but it does put into perspective your life and who your God is. And so I found this to be very helpful in my life. To, 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 when I'm feeling like, you know what, I'm, just, I'm in a funk right now, and my tendency is the same as everyone else's. I, I'd rather just kind of you know, withdraw, go in my room, put, put on some, some Netflix, and, and just ignore everything. But I can't, because I know if I do that, I just start spiraling down. Right? But, but if I go out and, and, I, and I am about my purpose, if I'm sharing my faith, if I'm helping others, if I'm studying the Bible, I find, oh, you know what, this problem isn't that big. I'm going to get through this like I have before. Right. And so we've got to be men and women who, who don't wait for tomorrow, don't wait for the perfect scenario, but really are about doing the labor of the Lord. Right. Because we know it's not in vain. The next scripture I want to share with you, and this one really has helped me out a lot too, is Psalm 46. And we're going to read the, basically the whole psalm here. It's not a very long one. Verse 1 says this, God is our refuge and strength, and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, 
the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her all, uh, will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar, kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice, the earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. I mean, the psalmist is giving us his portrayal of who God is, and it is terrible. It is awe-inspiring. It is just amazing to behold. My favorite part there is, it says, God speaks and the earth melts. I mean, picture that. That is, that is, that is, that is awe-inspiring, right? Stand before that, and then he goes on and says this. He says, be still and know that I am God. And for me, this is probably one of, the, one of the most beautifully crafted sentences in the entire scripture. Because he has just portrayed who our God is. He, is, he has given God this, this presence, this aura of just, just power and majesty, right? The earth melts, the shields are destroyed, desolations lay before the Lord. And then he tells us to be still before that. And I love that sentence because be implies action. Be strong, be courageous, be bold, right? It's an active word, but still is not active at all. Right. And so what he's saying to us is actively not be active. <laughs> and I love that, right? I love that juxtaposition of, of what he's doing there in the psalm. Because you know what? We don't wake up in a state of stillness. Our world today, there is nothing still about our world today. I guarantee you, I'm willing to bet, just about every one of us in here wakes up, and the first thing we do is grab that phone. And we check the emails, we check the text messages, we go on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or Snapchat, right? Or maybe we're like me, and you're going through your to-do list for the day. Right, I gotta do this, I gotta do this appointment, I gotta meet this guy, if I, I gotta leave by this time. And you're adding stuff from the day before that you missed onto today's appointment, and you're already thinking about tomorrow's appointment, right? There is nothing about our lives today that is still. And I really appreciate the time to pray today because that was a moment for us to be still. And it is something that we have to be intentional about. It does not just happen. I don't care who you are. I don't care how spiritual you may think you are or, or how, how weak you may be. You have to intend to be still. You have to actively be inactive. Right? And that's what I have found probably the, the most helpful thing in my life. Right? Being built, building my house on the foundation that is firm, right? Doing the work of the Lord, even when it's not comfortable, even when I don't feel like doing it, and then being still before my God and just sitting there and looking at who He is and what He does. Because it's when you're able to do that and, and, and get the proper perspective that we need that you can look at your challenges and see, you know what, there's a way out. You can look at the things in your life that, that have harassed you, that have caused you pain, that have caused you suffering, and you can see, you know what? God can, God can win this battle. You can look at your broken pieces, and you can see that God can find a solution for them. Right? We're all broken. We all have trauma in our lives. It's, it's, it's unavoidable. It's inescapable. But when we do these things, when we, when we sit before God and we're still, and we're present with who He is, 
we can find the strength to overcome. Yeah, you know, I want to share this thing uh, I came across. There's a, a Japanese art form, and it's called kintsugi. And I love this because the idea of kintsugi is that you take your broken pottery, your dishes, your bowls, your cups, and you repair them. But instead of using glue or mortar, you use gold. And what the artist understands is that you're highlighting the imperfections. You're highlighting the breaks, the chips, the pieces that are missing. And actually, the piece that you have left is far more beautiful than the original. Because this is what Paul was talking about. I don't think he made it to Japan on his missionary trip, but he would have resonated with this. Because what Paul understands is that we are broken pieces. And God is the one that fills in those gaps, just like they use the gold here to fill in the gaps. And so we're not great because we're a cup or a bowl. We're great because God has repaired us. We're great because God is the one that fills in the areas that we're weak. And he shines through in those things. Right? You look at these pieces here, and, and they're gorgeous. They're beautiful to behold, but they're broken, just like us. You know, if, 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 if you're here today, and you, maybe you're visiting, you've been coming out for a while, maybe you're a teen who's grown up in the church, and you know, you've heard these stories before, and you've heard a thousand people come up here and do a thousand different sermons, I, I want you to hear this. God wants to work in your life so desperately. And you have trauma in your life. You have things in your life that are, that are not great. Whether it's sin, whether it's pain or past hurts, you have these things in your life. And God wants to dwell in those areas. He wants to bring you relief. He wants to show you his strength in the areas that you're weak. He wants to mend the broken pieces and make you more beautiful than you can ever be on your own. If you're part of this church, you know, like me, and you've been here for a couple years now, like me, some, some more than others, some less than others, know that whatever challenge you're facing, God is going to work through it if you allow him. If you build your faith on this firm foundation, if you're active about doing the work of the Lord, and if you can sit before him and be still, God will take your broken pieces and mend them. Right. And he will make you a greater creation than you ever were on your own. Right. He's tearing away what is perishable, the flesh that, that is weak, and is revealing what is beautiful and immortal. You know, I mentioned, I'm going to close out now, um, the Hall of Faith in Hebrews. And, uh, you know, for a long time, I, I've had a real hard time with that passage of Scripture. Because it was just, it was just person after person of uh, just great deeds and faith in God. And, but, you know, it's funny. The more I studied the Bible and the more I learned, you know, you look at that, that list and you realize that there are a bunch of broken pieces, too. Yeah. Right? Noah, the guy who saved humanity. Well, one of the first things he did was make a vineyard and get drunk, right? Pass out naked in front of his sons, right? Abraham, the, the father of faith, you read his story, and there's a couple moments there where he's not so faithful, where he's questioning God and doubting his plan. Moses doubts God, has fits of anger and rage, right? So much so that he, he, he's left out of the promised land because of that. King David, right, the guy, the giant killer, well, he, he sleeps with one of his soldier's wives and has him killed to cover it up. Paul, the guy who delights in weakness, who evangelized the world, well, prior to being a Christian, was, was killing them, persecuting them. Right? These are all a collection of broken people. And they're not great because of their deeds. They're not great of who they were on their own. They're great because when it counted most, they put their faith in God. And they allowed him to be strong where they were weak. Right. Yeah. So thank you for letting me share today. I appreciate it. Yeah.